Good morning, if you would, grab a Bible. Let's turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. We will be working this morning in this section of the Psalms, so it would do you well to have a Bible open to that place. Good to see you this morning. Uh, Good to see everyone who is able to come out and be with us and worship in person. Those who are joining us online and other formats, thank you for being here and for being with us. I want to begin just by reading in Psalm 32 in the first two verses. It says, Psalm 32 and verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David sings here with the joy of the forgiven man. Now, the forgiven man is not the perfect man. He is not saying, blessed is the one who has never made a mistake, the one who has never sinned. Instead, he is the one who has sinned, but his sin has been covered, that his sin has been forgiven. Jehovah does not count it. And in these songs, David sings about the grueling process that it is to be at odds with God, to know that you have done wrong, and to carry that guilt to God in song. The question that these psalms, like Psalm 32, or Brother Barnes read Psalm 38 this morning, the question that these songs raise is what do we do when we find out that we are in sin? And that's what I want to take as our topic for a few minutes this morning. Now, our theme for the year is letting my soul sing. And if you remember, the premise of the sermons that we are studying this year is as we work through the book of Psalms, we are asking the question, what emotion or situation creates something so powerful in a man, a psalmist, that he must take to song? And so we've talked about already this year the idea that sometimes we have praise of God that just so overwhelms us that we have to sing. And then last month we talked about how when we are in danger or when we are in distress, we call on God just to help. But these songs are about what do we do when we know we're at odds with God? How can we sing God's songs when we know that we're not right with God? They are songs that help us to cry out, forgive me of my sin. Sometimes we feel the burden of sin in our lives. Can I express what that feels like? Maybe it's the nagging sense that you've done something you shouldn't do. And then when someone asks, are you right with God? When you sit down to sing in an assembly like this, there's something in the back of your mind that you know is kind of in between you and God. That sense that there's something that you know you shouldn't have done, but you did it anyway, and it bothers you. It nags at you. Or maybe it's that you look at your life, and you you look at your finances, or you look at your marriage, and you say, man, things are a mess. You look at your relationships at your workplace, or, or there's just something there that you say, you know what, this is not good And there is a part of you that says, you know, I probably have something to do with that. Or maybe it's that we hit rock bottom in whatever part of our life and we just say, you know what, something has to change. That's what it feels like to say, I know things aren't right. And so I need to sing about that. I need to connect with someone who understands and can help me out of the rut that I am in. And so I come to God seeking, first of all, to be reestablished with him. I need his forgiveness. The way we're going to talk about this is to talk about three psalms, Psalm 32, 38, and 51. And we're just going to work between those three psalms. All of them are written by David. And in them, there is a consistent sense of certain emotions that describe this process. And I just want to work through this process so that we can see this is what this looks like and then make some application thoughts for ourselves. Now, it may be that you're here this morning and you don't feel that. 
And you say, no, I don't really, I'm not really dealing with sin in this moment. In which case I say, great, that's really good. But you will. And as you do, this process should become second nature to the disciple of Jesus. Someone who says, I know from time to time I'm going to sin. What do I do about it? How do I deal with it? How should I feel about it? So, first of all, David experiences the misery of guilt. The reason why this Psalm 32 that we begin with has such joy to it. Blessed is the man who has forgiven, God has forgiven his sins or hidden his sin or doesn't count iniquity to him. The reason why he's so joyful is because he's been so miserable. Look in Psalm 32 and verse 3. Psalm 32 and verse 3. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So the great battle that is going on here inside David's heart is that he really doesn't want to admit when he's wrong. You ever feel that way? Even when you know you're wrong, you don't want to admit you're wrong. Even when you know you shouldn't have said that to your spouse, you don't want to admit you shouldn't have said that to your spouse. Well, what about God? I know I shouldn't have done that. I know I shouldn't be this way, but that's the way I am, and I'm stubborn. I don't want to face it. And so David says, you know how that affected me? It was misery. My bones wasted away. Or verse 4, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up. He uses physical terms. In fact, a lot of commentators will say maybe David is even describing a sickness in his own body that is a result of his sin. I don't think it's a sickness. I think what David is saying is that this is how guilt feels. And if you have ever lived with guilt over a long period of time, you're going to relate to that. You're going to say, you know what? It is something that dominates. It's almost physical. You can almost feel it because that's how guilt feels in our hearts. It makes us feel like we're groaning and our whole body, all our strength is wasting away. Especially he's describing that inner battle. Am I going to admit that there's a problem here or am I just going to go on as if everything is fine? And that, that tension makes him miserable. Turn over to Psalm 38. I mentioned that It sometimes sounds physical. You'll really notice that in Psalm 38. Psalm 38 in verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. And the light of my eyes, it has also gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague. And my nearest kin stand far off. Boy, things are bad. Do you hear it? I am in trouble. And every time you start to think that it's body symptoms he's talking about, like he talked about wounds in verse 5, verse 11 talks about a plague. Every time you start thinking he's talking about his body, then there's something that says, no, it's actually a spiritual description. Like in verse 4, my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. Verse 8, I'm feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. Or verse 9, my sighing and my longing. Or verse 10, my heart throbs. So every time you think it's physical, there's something spiritual or emotional that's also involved. So David often pictures that tension 
where I know I've done wrong, but I don't really want to admit it. He describes that tension sometimes as God afflicting him or God attacking him. Like verse 2, your arrows have sunk into me. Your hand has come down on me. Verse 3, there is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. He knows why this is so hard. It's because he is at odds with God. And it's like God is shooting arrows at him. It's like God is pushing his hand down on him. And he says, I just can't escape it. It reminds me so much of what Jesus says to Paul when he says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. I'm trying to push you in a direction, Paul. I'm trying to guide you and lead you, but you're kicking. And that's hard for you. It's hard to kick against the goads. But especially he describes, look at verse 4. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. Sin is a weight. Guilt is a burden. And it drains us and exhausts us and distracts us and weakens us and stresses us. And if we have not experienced that, I believe it's because we're not being honest about what's happening. David says, I know exactly what's going on. I am feeling the misery of guilt. Turn over to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Now, in this psalm, David has been convicted about his sin by Nathan. This is after the affair with Bathsheba. But listen to how he sings about it in verse 3. Psalm 51 and verse 3. He says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So the first thing he says is, this is all I can think about. Look at verse 3. He says, I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. David is sitting with his sin, and he says, it's wearing me out. I am distracted beyond belief. This is my focus. I am overwhelmed by my sin. Look at verse 5. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, let's be clear. Verse 5 cannot be literally true. In sin, my mother conceived me. He is not accusing his mother of sexual sin. He is saying, I feel like sin, my sin is so disgusting and so all-encompassing that it's as if I've been a sinner since before I was even born. I am overwhelmed by it. But then... When I look at myself, I see this sinfulness. But verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So when I see you, all I see is the distance between us. Have you ever felt that way about God? Have you ever even felt that way about other Christians? Like I look at them and all I see is what I'm not? That's how David feels. So here is the issue when we talk about the misery of guilt. Nobody likes to feel bad. But guilt feels bad. So what we do is when we start to feel guilty, we do things to try to alleviate that pain. So what we'll do is we'll go talk to people about it. And especially we want to seek out people who are going to tell us, don't feel bad. You didn't do anything wrong. You don't need to feel bad about that. We seek those people out so that we can calm the guilt. Or so we go to counseling or we try to medicate our guilt. Maybe that's with drugs or with food or with some pleasure. But what we'll think is, if I can just have something to distract me from this, maybe it'll kind of die down. But that's not really the way guilt works. Sometimes we just try to ignore it. Say, you know what, I'm not going to think about it anymore. But guilt is stubborn that way. It just doesn't go away. Living with it is misery. So David shows us 
that instead of just rushing out of those feelings, there is something beneficial about experiencing the misery of guilt. David has thought deeply about his sin. Look again at verse 3 of Psalm 51. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He has been on his knees before God. He knows he is wrong. And so he comes to God out of the misery of guilt. Can I say one thing before we leave this point? I want to remind you that as Christians we have this promise, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when you and I deal with sin, we have a promise that if we confess it, and the implication is also that we quit doing it, then we have a promise that God is faithful and just to always forgive us. He will have us back. But I have a concern about that. My concern is that we start to feel guilt and we feel the misery of guilt. And so what we do is instead of really processing what we've done and thinking about how shameful and wrong it is, what we do is we just immediately give a 1 John 1, 9 treatment. Oh, I did wrong. Okay, let me pray about that. Okay, all done. As if sin is such a light thing. As if sin, well, God will always forgive. I mean, we've got that promise. You don't see in the psalmists the rush to forget about it. Instead, there is some benefit in actually processing the destructive nature of sin. If David had just one moment said, you know what, I'm sorry I did all that with Bathsheba, but God, please forgive me. We wouldn't have Psalm 51. David is chewing on it. And if he did that, we would say, David, I'm not sure you learned anything from what happened. I mean, you really went off the rails there. I don't think that's something you can deal with in 10 seconds. And in the same way, it seems to me that it may benefit us to really think about what we've done, why we did it, and what it means to experience a little of the misery of guilt. The other part of that is, if we can experience that, maybe it will be a deterrent to future sin. Where we say, you know what? This is not an easy fix. This is not a nothing problem. This is a serious offense to God. And I don't want to go through the miserable process again. And so I will not sin. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't confess to God and that we shouldn't do it quickly. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the misery of guilt can lead to good things if it prevents us from future sin. Second thing David experiences here is the challenge of confession. Let's go back to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. Often these psalms describe the time when David is struggling with whether to admit the sin to God. We've talked about that already. Psalm 32 and verse 3, he says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. When I kept silent, he says in verse 3, I kept silent, meaning I pretended things were normal. I didn't say anything about it. I tried to act like everything was fine. I tried to keep it quiet, hush it up, cover it up, move on from it, and it didn't work. I tried. I really tried, but it didn't work. And as the misery and the frustration mounted, finally relented, and the dam broke. Look in verse 5. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So finally, I confessed it and you forgave. Why would it be so hard to confess? I think it's just hard for us, just like it was for David, to say that things are not okay. I think it's hard for us to admit weakness. And it's really hard for us to admit we have been wrong about anything. 
But there is a disposition difference here that we need to learn and we need to continue to develop as character. To be able to say, I was wrong, I was wrong, I was wrong. I should not have said that, I should not have done that, I should not have thought that. To be able to amend our past actions and to try to correct them as best we can. That's the pattern you see in David. And until he goes through the challenge of confession, until he goes through the difficulty of it and sees this is the only way forward, he's going to have a hard time. He's going to stay in the misery of guilt. And sometimes, brethren, we just need to say it. Sometimes we're wrong. Sometimes we're wrong about things we've said and done. Sometimes we're wrong about things that we've thought, things that we've taught, things that we believed. Sometimes we're wrong. And if we can't admit that, we can't ever grow and we can't ever be right. We have to be able to say, yes, God is right, and I have not been. Turn the page over to Psalm 38. Psalm 38 also describes some confession. It's a little bit of a different tone in Psalm 38. Psalm 38 is there are some problems that David is facing, and he's concerned about them, but he has not yet gotten right with God. And so there is both confession and also a plea for help. Psalm 38 and verse 15, he says, But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin, but my foes are vigorous. They are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully, those who render me evil for good, accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. So don't pass by the fact that David confesses his sin. That's in verse 18. And he admits, I'm sorry for my sin. I shouldn't have done it, but I also need you. So don't forsake me. Verse 21, make haste to help me. I need you. And so he goes through this whole process, and it's sort of rushed because he is in such desperate need. Have you ever been there? Where you realize, I need God, and I am not on the same page with God. I need God, and I've got some things I've got to fix between me and God before I call on him for anything. It's okay. You can sing this song. David has been there. Children of God have been here for the long time. So he is saying, here is the pattern when you have to confess. Go with me over to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is an interesting text because David actually has five very creative ways here to ask for forgiveness. And all of them are the same as confessing his sin. Psalm 51 and verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So I said there are five ways here he confesses and asks for forgiveness. In verse 7, he says, cleanse me. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And the idea here is I've made myself dirty and I can't get myself clean again. I need you to wash me. He says, give me joy again. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, he says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. And verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. So he says, I've lost my joy. I don't know what I'm living for anymore. And it's all my fault. I did it. But I need your help. Nothing is good anymore. I need you to restore the goodness of my life. He asks God to hide his evil. Look in verse 9. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. 
I've done evil and it accuses me. As he says earlier, my sin is always before me. So take it away. Hide your face from it. Blot it out. Verse 10, remake my heart. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So I've polluted my heart. I've broken my spirit. Create a new heart in me. Cleanse me. Verse 11, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Let me be close to you again. Do you ever feel like God is far away? It may be that sin is between you. And to confess that sin is to say, God, I want that again. I want to feel that you care about me, that you are close at hand. Confession is a challenge. It takes courage. And we need to remember this. When someone confesses, whether that's someone confessing to the entire group or when someone just says something to you individually about something that they have done wrong, we need to applaud that courage because it is difficult. But on a personal level, we need to be aware that we're going to have some internal pushback about saying that we have done wrong and that we're going to have to overcome that if we're going to follow God. These songs teach us to confess. And I want to stress, confession will be a part of the Christian life. We cannot be so stubborn that we say we have never done wrong. We cannot be so stubborn that we're unwilling to own when we have messed up. The third thing David experiences here is the relief of forgiveness. Go back to Psalm 32 with me. Psalm 32. After this miserable battle, there is relief. Psalm 32 and verse 5. He says, Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. After all of that, <sighs> relief. And that's why he's writing a song. It's the song, haven't you ever felt this? It's the song of the man suddenly free who has had a heavy burden lifted. And so he says in verse 1, blessed is the one, happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I think we're a little more used to singing that song, right? We sing that song a lot. This is my story. This is my song. We sing about how God has forgiven us. My sin or oh, the bliss of this glorious thought is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. We, we can sing that one. We know that one. The relief though, the joy that says I have carried this burden for so long. That's what makes us come to the cross. That's what makes us see the need we have for Jesus, is to be able to say, you know what? I don't want to live in this misery anymore. I will say whatever I need to say so that I can feel the relief of being forgiven. Sometimes people will talk about this, even non-Christians, that when you have carried a secret, when you have carried guilt for a long time, just telling someone else about it provides this tremendous relief. They immediately feel better. Immediately, I'm just so glad somebody else knows what I've been dealing with. Even if it doesn't make their spouse feel better, they feel better. Even if it makes other people not feel better, they feel better. Because carrying that weight is a huge burden. But just imagine, if it's not just confession, it's forgiveness. To know that not only can I let it out, but I can also know I can move on. That the issue is dead so now there is only honesty and simplicity and joy. That's the relief of forgiveness. I see David as he looks back on this whole ordeal, kind of shaking his head and asking, well, what took me so long to finally just own up to it? Look down in verse 8. 
This is where God seems to speak to David. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. So he says, I will teach you in the way you will go. And one of the ways God teaches and leads is with guilt and allowing us to experience some of the fruit of our decisions. But he says, don't be like the horse or the mule. Don't be stubborn. Don't be somebody that I've got to force at every moment to follow me. Trust me. And David, like anyone with this newfound relief, happily agrees. Sure, God, you are right. I was wrong. I should have listened. I should have responded more quickly. I shouldn't have been stubborn. So we go through this process, misery and challenge and now relief. But the last thing I want to observe is that David experiences the renewed joy of fellowship. There is joy in these songs because what has been lost is now regained and appreciated more deeply. Look down in verse 10 of Psalm 32. He says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Don't you think that song sounds a little different from him now? I am the upright in heart. I know many are the sorrows of the wicked, but but those who can be forgiven, they have a different song. They have a song of joy. Go over to Psalm 51 with me. Psalm 51. Part of David's plea is he wants to have the renewed joy of fellowship again. He wants to go back to what he had before. Psalm 51 and verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. You know, bones that have been broken now are healed and mended. And now they rejoice. I know what happened. You know what happened. But now things are back to good again. Verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David prays and confesses, anticipating that renewal to come again. And then, verse 13, Psalm 51, 13, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. This is fascinating. David looks forward, and he says, If you will forgive me, Let me tell you what it's going to look like for me. I want to tell other people about you. And I want especially for sinners, verse 13, to return to you. In other words, they're going to to return to you like I have. I have been a sinner. You have forgiven me. I want to lead others. And, And I'll be able to say, guess what? I know God forgives. He forgave me. I'm the proof. Now, that's a different kind of teaching, isn't it? It's the kind of teaching that is not just dry and intellectual, but it's a kind of teaching that says, I have lived this, and you need to live it too. I have experienced this. I want you to experience it too. Taste and see that the Lord is good, he says in Psalm 34. So I want you to know what I know about God. And God, if you will forgive me, he says, I will be a new person in serving you. David can't do much teaching when he is busy committing adultery and having people killed. It kind of undermines your preaching. But if I can be forgiven and I can move forward and I can come back to the Lord, what a story I'll have and I'll be able to share. The other part is in verse 15. He says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Verse 14, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. He talks about worship. 
What a song I'm going to sing when all this is over about what God has done for me and what comes next. Have you ever noticed that when there are things between you and God, your worship stinks? Somebody says, we're going to sing song, whatever, and you say, oh. Or sometimes people will say, you know, I just didn't get much out of it today. Just didn't get much out of it week after week, month after month. David says the fuel for worship here is that I've experienced firsthand the goodness of God. I've seen it. I've been miserable and God gave me joy. And that makes me sing. And I want to tell other people and I want to praise God because that's what comes next. The renewed joy of fellowship. Passion, zeal, praise. We sing a new song. So if Christians are going to struggle with sin, and John says that we do, John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. So if Christians are going to struggle with sin, then this process is going to be a regular part of Christian living. And I want to stress that we should be getting better at it. For one, maybe we shouldn't have to go through it over and over and over again about the same things. For two, maybe we shouldn't be so stubborn so that we wait long periods of time just sitting with our guilt and letting it annoy us to the point where we finally admit it? Maybe we should get better about having the humility to admit, even in casual things, that we were wrong, that we are not sure, that we should have done differently, we shouldn't have said that. And then, when we continually reaffirm the grace of God, to have us back, to be forgiven, a tremendous sense of joy that says, I'm not in this relationship with God because I'm good, because I'm worthy, but solely because God is willing to have me back. That's my story. That's my song. That's what we sing. But I have to wonder if there are not some who are listening right now who have something that they need to confess, something that's been working on them, that you know there's a problem, but you're worried that your problem is too embarrassing or that people won't welcome you or won't understand you or that if they only knew what I've done. And so there's a battle inside you. You know exactly what David is describing. You know what it is to be miserable because of guilt. I hope that you'll take this opportunity not to be stubborn, to confess your sins to God. And if you need to make something right that we can help you with, whether to be baptized into Christ and have your sins washed away, or if you want to make something known and have us help you and pray to God for you, we would love to do that. Please come to the front right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.